Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, it's great to be back at the crossing. I love coming to this church. I like the spirit that's in the house, joy, unfettered delight in the Lord. And isn't it great to see each other's faces? Those whose faces we can see. It's the only time I've ever seen is this season we're going through with these masks. It's really something, isn't it? I mean, uh, it's, uh, this, this thing is complicated, isn't it? Used to be. You saw a Christian with a mask, you thought he had lapsed and was going to knock over a liquor store. <laughs> now it's a matter of self-defense. <laughs> well, it's great to be here. I love the joy in this church. You'd, you'd be shocked to know how many churches I go to where laughter does not happen in the house. Pretty uptight believers. It's nice to be with a group of people with a sense of humor is godly. Is godly. A lot of people don't believe God has a sense of humor. I can prove it to you. Look at the people on either side of you. Look at the... If they're laughing louder than you are, what, what does that tell you? Good. We're all on the same page. Well, it's great to be here. I want to uh, get into the word pretty quick this morning. But let me tell you about uh, these books. There is a book table, a product table as you go out in the lobby. I'm, I get confused in this big church, but I think it's that way. And I uh, hope you'll stop by there and look at these books and get some for yourself or for others. It's nearly Christmas. You can get all your Christmas shopping done this morning with these books. I want to tell you about them. Uh, this book is 21 Seconds to Change Your World. Uh, I was very blessed to hear the young lady this morning, Jael, is that her name? Jael? Jael. She's a great worship leader. If she can just overcome her inhibitions and come out a little bit, <laughs> add a little joy to herself. But uh, she was talking about the 23rd Psalm. This book is based on the connection between the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but they are the two most prominent devotional classics in, the world, in two of the world's largest religions. And they are both written by two men born a thousand years apart in the same small village. So you might be interested, 21 Seconds to Change Your World. Uh, it, the title refers to how long it takes to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's about 21 seconds to pray the Lord's Prayer. Unless you're from Alabama, it takes 45 seconds, but... This is David the Great. This, is, uh, this book has been a huge seller for us. I'm so proud of this book. Um, this is the life and leadership of King David. And this is not your sanitized Sunday school version of King David. This is the real deal with all of his challenges. But this book has hit, uh, has hit the market hugely for us because we tapped into a reading market that generally doesn't buy Christian books. Women buy and read Christian books. Men don't. And, uh, and you walk through a Christian bookstore and look at the titles, and you can tell that I'm telling. Publishers are longing for books that Christian men will read, and they have bought this book like crazy. And why not? Why wouldn't they? David was a man's man. 
He was a tough guy. He was a warrior's warrior. It's the kind of guy you want to take deer hunting with you. You, you might not want him to take your wife deer hunting. <laughs> but we deal with that. We deal with that. That's in the book. I, I mean, we, we have to be honest with each other, and Scripture is honest. So that's, this is, that. had one lady bought uh, 10 cases. That's 360 books. I said, ma'am, I'll sell you 10,000 if you want them. Why? She said her son was a master sergeant in the Army, and she bought books for everybody in his unit. Isn't that great? Another, another man bought books for all of the police in, in his community. I thought to myself, if we can get the cops reading Christian books, praise God. And then, uh, then the uh, last one, this is the newest book, and it's sold faster in the short period of time than any book we ever did. 19 books, this one sold faster takeoff than any book we've ever had. It's a book about emotional healing, inner healing. It's called Courage to be Healed. We have it also in Spanish, La Lengua Celestial, uh, Valentia para Sanar. We have that also as well. So it is dealing with emotional damage, uh, the courage to face those things inside of us that have been wounded. Nobody gets through this life unscathed. Some, somebody gets a kick in the head from somebody somewhere. Now, how do we get past that and get on with finding God's healing power? And that's what that book is about. I hope you'll get them and enjoy them. Let me say something to you. It probably doesn't matter to you to hear it. It's important to me to say it. I am on a salary, a fixed salary, as the executive director of the National Institute of Christian Leadership. And my arrangement with them is I take nothing from any other source of ministry. Uh, so I don't, whatever I'm paid for this doesn't go to me. All book sales here, online, Amazon, there's no smoke and mirrors. It's every penny of it all. Even the royalties from the publisher are not paid to me. They all go to the Foreign Missions Program of Global Servants, particularly our girls' homes in Thailand and West Africa. So I hope you'll go out there to the book table and spend yourself into bankruptcy. <laughs> Refinance your house. <laughs> Take the children's lunch money, whatever it takes. <laughs> All right, if you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn, if you will, please, to the book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Isaiah chapter six. Now, just a word of preparation. I'm going to be reading from KJV this morning, the King James Version. It's, uh, I'm not hung up on which version of the Bible you use. I don't want anybody taking this wrong. I love the King James Bible in general. At the universities where I was the president, kids always used to ask me, why do you always read from the King James Bible? Well, first of all, it was loyalty. I, I went to high school with King James. And it was Jimmy in those days. He wasn't a king in high school. We, but uh, the other reason is I, I enjoy the Shakespearean cadence uh, of, the, of the King James Bible, all the these and thous that so offend everybody else. I, I like that sound in it. Having said all that, it doesn't, I'm not, you don't have to have a King James Bible to go to heaven. One, one will be given you when you get there. But, but why stand in that long, embarrassing line? 
I'm teasing. I don't know. Some, I'm always afraid somebody will, amen, brother, amen. No, no, I'm going to read from King James, but you, you feel free to follow me in whatever cheap communist imitation you've got. <laughs> oh, this is a jolly church. No, there is a particular reason on this passage, this is what I'm leading up to, that I like the KJV because in most of the modern translation, there is an important word which is inexplicably left out. And it's extremely important to the passage, particularly to this message. It's the simple word also. But in many of the modern translations, also is not included, and it's very important. So let's begin reading, KJV. In the year that King Uzziah died, now let's just make sure, Uzziah the king, not to be confused with Isaiah the prophet. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train, that is the, the robe of his garment, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, it's the only place in the whole Bible where that word is mentioned, by the way, where these six-winged angelic creatures are mentioned. And above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. And with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved. In other words, the temple was shaken. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. Now think a moment. A lot of people misread this. That's not the voice of God. God has not yet spoken in this passage. It's the voice of angels. Now think, if the temple would shake on its foundations when angels speak, what if God should speak? And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Put your hands on your Bible, if you will, and let's pray together. Padre bendito celestial, te damos gracias por tu presencia con nosotros en esta mañana, porque te necesitamos mucho. Necesitamos un palabra de esperanza. Ayúdame, por favor. Lléname con tu Espíritu Santo y úsame a su gloria, si es posible. Y por favor, glorifica tu nombre in este mensaje. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for this morning. We yield ourselves to you as fully as we know how. Rush in over the threshold of our souls. Brush aside every barrier to divine communication. And speak to us. That when we leave here this morning, we will say one to another, Surely the Lord has spoken unto us. In the mighty name, Jesus the strong son of God. Amen. Amen and amen. There are those events in life, in history, and in our own lives that seem to rise up and claim for themselves the authority to name our year. I, I remember where I was, as clearly as I can see you, I can see it in my mind's eye, sitting in Mrs. Kovacs, civics class at Damascus, Maryland High School when the loudspeaker crackled and the principal's somber voice came over and he said, let me have your attention. 
I have the responsibility to inform you that President Kennedy has just been shot dead in Dallas, Texas. I'll never forget that, the year that Kennedy was killed. I remember where I was when I heard that Dr. King had been assassinated, shot dead off of a motel balcony in Memphis, Tennessee, the year that Dr. Kennedy, uh, that Dr. King and the president were killed. I remember those years. I remember where I was when the word Columbine entered our functional vocabulary. And we learned that our high schools, which we had thought were places of security and learning, could become killing fields in a moment. Except for the very youngest of you here, you know where you were when you heard about 9-11. And that year changed everything. When we learned that there was a target on the back of our country and our civilization and our culture and that there were people who hated us unto destruction. And the year of 9-11 was marked. It can happen in our own personal lives. The year that we finally got a driver's license. The year I totaled my dad's car. The year we got married. The year of our first baby. The year I got that great job. The year I got fired. Whatever it is, there are those things that seem to mark a year. How human then, how, how fascinating that when Isaiah records the most extravagant supernatural vision ever afforded a human being, he dates it with a contemporary political event going on in his own country at that time. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. How like us. What is the circumstance of Uzziah's death? Let's consider it for a moment. Uzziah had come to the throne of Israel as a young, popular king, handsome, uh, attractive, winsome. Uh, he began to have some successes that his predecessors had had failures. He was, he was uh, moving the country forward. But at the peak of his career, in the arrogancy of his heart, he determined to become a priest as well as a king. And he tried to offer sacrifice in the temple. Well, horrified, of course, the legitimate priesthood resisted him. And he became so angry that God struck him in his face with leprosy. He lived the rest of his life with leprosy and died of it. Now, we know now that leprosy is a viral disease which can be treated with medicine. We know that. But at that time, if we can understand, leprosy was considered an outward and physical curse of an inward and spiritual dis-ease, disorder. Furthermore, we have a hard time in the, the republic in which we live understanding the concept of a monarchy. It doesn't make any sense to us. But in a monarchy, the king is, if you will, the queen, the king is the face of the nation. So therefore, if God has struck the face of the king with leprosy, then has he not cursed the face of the nation? It was a national humiliation for them. Now... He has died in the year that King Uzziah died. And Isaiah, who is a priest at this time, records for us what is called his call report. All prophets had a call report, and it is what it sounds like, the report of how they are called to be a prophet. Some were called from being farmers to be prophets, but he was called from being a priest in the temple to being a prophet. And he records this moment. And he dates it with something that was going on in his national 
in a time of national turmoil and confusion and pain. So he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. As he's pacing up and down in the temple, he is facing all that riot of conflicting emotions that we often feel in moments of tumult in our own families. Every pastor who's ever preached a funeral has to deal with those emotions in the house, the people that are attending the funeral. When grandpa finally dies after an extended battle with Alzheimer's, people are dealing with emotions inside themselves that are conflicting. On the one hand, they may sense a, have a sense of relief. Thank God that's over for grandpa, for all of us. The moment they get in touch with that feeling of relief, they suddenly are struck with guilt. They think, what's the matter with me? Am I glad my grandfather's dead? Then they begin to think, this has been such a drain on us financially, physically, in every way, emotionally, maybe things will get better. The moment they get in touch with that hope, then they are crushed with another thought. Grandpa was the patriarch of this family. Grandpa was the linchpin that held us all together. Maybe things will get better. Maybe things will get worse. So that's what Isaiah is dealing with. He loved the king. He admired the king in the early days. Now he's embarrassed and humiliated. Now the king is dead. Then he touches that. He thinks to himself, am I actually glad that the king is dead? Maybe things will get better. Maybe we'll get a new and better king. Wait a minute. If the last king died of leprosy, how bad could it get? And then he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord, and he was high, seated upon a throne, high and lifted up. Now, God is God. He could appear to us in any form that he wants to. He appeared to Moses as a burning bush. He could appear as a pillar of fire, a cloud of smoke, as a dove. Why does he appear to Isaiah that night as a king seated upon the throne? Don't you see? The message to Isaiah and to us through Isaiah is this. Look, I know you're living in a season of local political turmoil. I know you're grieving because the king is dead, but I'm showing you the king is alive. Says, so I, I know you're worried and upset about the future of the nation because the throne of Israel is empty. But I'm showing you the throne in heaven is occupied. <laughs> Furthermore, li listen to the angels. What do they cry? Holy, 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 until the great temple reverberates with the echo of their cry. What is he saying? This is a king that cannot fall into sin. This is a king that cannot be bribed, that won't get old, that won't go senile, that won't die. This is the king of kings, and he's high and seated up on the throne. So what is God saying to us in this moment, in this year? This is, this is a crazy year, isn't it? Am I the only one? I mean, this, I have found out that the word 2020, the, the number 2020, has entered into urban slang as a word that means uh, kind of crazy in a dangerous way. And I, I found this out. I didn't know this. I, was, I saw a teenager I hadn't seen in some time, and I said to him, I remember that girl you were dating, that cute girl. Where is she? Oh, he said, Dr. Mark, 
He said, I had to break up with that girl. She went 2020. <laughs> I didn't even know what he meant. But when you think about it, is this crazy or what? We, I mean, we've, ne we've never been here before. And so we, years from now, if Jesus tarries, you're going to look back on it and you're going to say, oh, that was the year that whatever. We're living in this crazy turmoil and the nation polarized and divided, half the nation crazy with fear that candidate A is going to get elected. The other half of the nation just as crazy that candidate B is going to get elected. In the year, whatever it happens, some half the nation's go, oh my God, now what? And I understand, I, I understand, am I the only one? You ever get to the place where you just can't look at the news anymore? Am I the only one? Sometimes Allison will say to me, my wife will say, should we turn the news on? I say, no, no, baby, I, no can do. Not tonight. Let's just, let's see if we can find the Three Stooges movie. They're doing the same stuff and they're funnier. So what does God say to us? God, God is saying a word to us in this year. This year, which rises up 2020 and claims the authority to name my year, we used to say in the year of our Lord, 2020. And that's what he's saying is let my lordship, my kingship, my governance name your year. This is the year of the Lord our God. Look, history is not happening to God. God doesn't wake up in the morning and look at the New York Times and say, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> now what do we do? Anyway, if he's reading a newspaper, it in the New York Times. <laughs> Stay calm. No, history is not happening to God. What shakes us does not shake him. What frightens us does not frighten him. History is unfolding in the palm of God's hand. You remember the seven seals in the book of Revelation on the scroll? Those seals represent the unfolding epochs of human history. And John the Revelator weeps because he says no one is worthy to open the seals. And the angel says, no, no, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God, he opens the seals. So those seals have to open for history to move forward. But they don't pop off at random like the buttons off a fat man's coat. They open by sovereign decree. God is not just the God of human history and the God above human history. He is operative. He is the God in human history. He makes and unmakes nations with the breath of his nostrils. He sweeps away kings with the back of his hand. God is God, and he's high and seated upon a throne. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be involved. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be concerned. If you think that I'm being dismissive of your political activity, wherever you are, that's not the point of this. You should be involved. You should be active. You should vote. You should do all the rest of that. Once probably would be good. But if you... But if, but if you are, and that defines you, you're missing the great reality of eternal reality, and that is God upon the throne. 
So what does it say to us? It says, first of all, this. People will say to us, how, how come you're at peace? Don't you see the same thing? The stock market's on the amphetamines. The, the <laughs> political world's going crazy. All the riots, all the rest of this. Well, how can you have peace? Don't you see the same thing? You tell them, yes, I see it. I read the same newspapers you do. I see it. I do see it. I, denial is not faith. Isaiah doesn't say Uzziah was asleep. He says the king was dead. He's dead. He's facing historical contemporary reality, and we are. But you say to them, yes, I see it. I see those things that you're concerned about that are distressing you. I see that. They say, well, how do you be at peace? Because I also see the Lord, and he's high and lifted up. That's the... That's the fulcrum on which our faith operates. Yes, I see reality, historical, political, and geopolitical reality. I see it, but I also see the Lord, and he is high and lifted up. The second thing is, it restores our sense of humility, of who we are. You know, I didn't read on, but in that passage, as soon as Isaiah sees God as he is, now he sees himself as he is. He says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, a nation of uncleanness. Does that sound familiar to anybody but me? That when we see God in his holiness and in his power and his majesty, we get in touch with our own humility before him. There is a creeping and pervasive arrogance in American culture, which is at least as dangerous as the immorality. I see it in this. There used to be a television show. I can't remember the interviewer's name, but he interviewed movie stars, famous movie. And I, I, I watched it occasionally. I liked it. It was interesting to find out about these people. But he had a set of sort of regular questions that he asked every time. And one of those was, when you get to heaven, what would you like to ask God? Well, first of all, there is a presupposition there, which movie stars might want to think through. But... When you get to heaven, are there questions you'd like to ask God? And I find in general, these arrogant agnostics have these strong questions. Oh, I'm going to ask God some things. I'm going to ask him, what about, what about disease? What about famine? What about war? What, what about all this stuff? As if we're going to hold God accountable for the afflictions that we create. But let me say something to you. <laughs> when you get to heaven... You're not going to have any questions. I, ha I have some questions. I'll be honest with you. I do have some things I'd like to get answered. Here's one. Why, as adult males get older, why does our hair fall out of our heads and grow in our ears? I, <laughs> you know, I'd like to know that. Was that part of the original design? But the fact of the matter is, when you walk into heaven on that golden avenue that stretches as far as you can see, and the throngs of eternity are singing in the music of the spheres, and the eyes in your glorified body are trying to adjust to a sunless sky that is brilliant in its glory, and you look at the end of the avenue, and there sits God Almighty upon his throne with the rainbow over and thunder and lightning and the angels and the archangels and, this, and all of this. And suddenly, with the voice of 10,000 waterfalls, he says, any questions? 
you're gonna say, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> the second thing is it restores our, this also restores our sense of depth perception. Uh, Satan wants to steal your depth perception. You ever heard this, mountains out of molehills? That is, that is a satanic work. When I, was, when I was a child, I didn't grow up in a warm, loving, spirit-filled church like this. I, my family attended very shallow water, high-steepled, tight-collar Methodist churches. And the worship services were, I was trying to think of a better word. No, I can't. It, boring. Um, <laughs> I, my vocabulary was limited, just excruciatingly boring. And in those days, we didn't have children's church. Anybody else remember this? You went to church, you know, and you, if your mother was like my mother, you behaved. My, my little mother is 96 now, still sharp as a tack, five feet tall, and she defied every law of physics I ever learned. The pews in our church were nine feet long. I would sit on one end, she would sit on the other. How can a five-foot-tall woman pinch you on the end of a nine-foot pew? So I learned to amuse myself, and it was in that little Methodist church that I learned the secret of depth perception. There was a chandelier that hung in the top of that church, and it taught me that I could make my own thumb bigger than that chandelier. I'm going to ask you to go along with this. Just humble yourself, okay? Come on. Humble yourself. What I want you to do is look at one of these two screens. And then I want you to close one eye and extend your right arm to its full length and raise your thumb. Now slowly, slowly, not quickly, slowly, move your thumb toward your open eye. Closer, closer, closer. Now right against your eye. It's a miracle. You have made your thumb bigger than that screen. That is exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to take things and press them right up against your face until it blocks the light of the king's glory. And he says, there, see that? See that? And listen to me, it's not always, it's not always bad things. Sometimes it's good things that he presses up against our face because he hopes to generate fear. Look at that. Look at those precious children I've given you. Look at that. Anything could happen. They could die in the morning. They could be gone. So he presses it up against our face. Never argue with your adversary. Agree with him. Say, yes, I see it. I see it. But I also see the Lord, and he's high and lifted up. It restores our sense of humility before God. It restores our depth perception. It restores our whole sense of the balance of life. What life is like. It takes away politics and history's power to name our year. For me, for me, I'm saying, this will not be the year that this or that or this or that happened. This will be the year of our Lord, and he's high and seated up on the throne. Well, you've been very patient. Let me, let me conclude with this. I'm, uh, 
I'm 73. I'll be 73 years old in about 10 days. I'm, I'm 73. So you think when I was in my 20s, that was a half a century ago. I, I, I went to seminary when Lincoln was in the White House. It, hurt, it hurts me when you laugh at me. When I was in seminary in Atlanta, I was assigned my internship. Part of it was to visit, make visits at a retirement home in the city. And there I met an, a retired Presbyterian missionary. He was in his 90s. So now think, 50 years ago, he was in his 90s. So when he started in missions, think how long ago that was. In those days, you didn't make a two-week mission trip on a jet airplane. You went to the country to live there, minister there, and probably die there. If not die there, then get to the place where your denomination or sponsoring agency decided that you were no longer useful, and they brought you home to die in a nursing home, which is exactly where he was. I just loved visiting with this old guy in his 90s, joyful, happy, filled with stories. He inspired me. He told me one story I've never forgotten. He said he had always had a a desire. He didn't even know where it came from. A desire. You know, Hollywood gave us the term for this. We didn't know what to call it. Thank God for Hollywood, right? They said to call it a bucket list. Okay, he said he had a, something he'd always wanted to do was see Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world. He said, I don't know whether I saw a picture of it in the National Geographic or what. I just wanted to see Mount Everest. But he said, I knew I never could. It was never going to happen. I didn't have the money to fly to the Himalayas and see Mount Everest. Until he said he got an invitation to attend all expense paid a missions conference in Germany. And he had just enough money set aside to make a, a side excursion to go see Mount Everest. He was so excited. But he said the day that his plane landed, the entire subcontinent was engulfed in a massive fog bank. He said when his plane landed, he couldn't even see the terminal. He was so discouraged. He went through passport control, met his guide, told the guide, I'm not even going to leave the airport. I'll just stay here, catch the next flight, and get on to Munich. His guide said, no, come with me. He said, it's bigger than you think. He said they rode a train, then got in a Land Rover, and then walked out. I don't remember all the details of the story, but they was gonna, the guide was going to take him to some place, a viewing platform or something, where he had the perfect vista to see the great mountain. He said as they trudged up the last pathway, he couldn't even see the trail. The fog was so thick. And he was holding the guide's coattail, and he said he murmured the whole way, I'm going back. This is stupid. He said the guide just kept answering the same thing. It's bigger than you think. Finally, he said the guide kind of engineered him out. Where there, and he said, now, look. And he said he peered through the fog at the distant horizon, and he thought... He could just make out the outline of one mountain a little bit taller than the others. And he said, there, I think I see it. He said that guide laughed and came around behind him and took hold of his head and said, not down there. He said, look up there. Actually, that's one of the sweetest ministries of the Holy Ghost. Whether it is in the face of political turmoil and a nation in distress 
or in the face of a veritable plague or whether it is at the graveside of a loved one, the Holy Spirit comes behind us and with feathered fingers, he lifts our eyes aloft and he says, not down there, my child. Look up there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that we can depend on you. That we know that your eternity transcends whatever we face in this or any year. Lord, we live in this world and we have to see these things. Our eyes see, our ears hear the reports of the world. Give us faith, O Lord, to know, to remember that we also see you. And you are high, lifted up, and holy. In Jesus' name, the strong Son of God. Amen. God bless you, and God bless this great church. <laughs>